This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the war room. <laughs> and we've got a, we've got a mini, my, mine's taking a nap over there, but uh, I love dogs, man. <laughs> this little thing was, was a stray, but she's a purebred. And, uh, and of course she was, I she, think she got beaten a lot because she was always, she used to be so scared. Now she loves me. Now she's, oh, now when I'm at my desk, she'll put her, she'll just jump right up on my leg and be like, hello. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Oh, man, that says a lot, man. And, you know, I usually go into this uh, opening it up and in the way where we go, do you yourself, Craig, come from a family of entrepreneurs? Uh, No, no. My uh, my mom was mostly stay at home, although she did at one time work at a movie theater and at a grocery store, you know, but for the most part, my dad was a cop, you know, former army sergeant and you know, during the Vietnam War, I was in the army and um, didn't end up going to Vietnam. He ended up going to Germany instead. So he was kind of blessed in that way. He was on the plane twice to go to Vietnam, but both times they pulled him off. So, um, so that probably worked out in his favor. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, no entrepreneurs in the family. And uh, I don't know how I got there. I mean, I always wanted to be a musician and do music. And so really... I think entrepreneurism has been more of a me not giving up on the dream to write music and be a musician. So I've had to find ways to support that. And so I wanted to go to college for music, but my mom and dad didn't have the money. So I couldn't afford to go to Berkeley or Juilliard. So I went in the army to try to make college money, but it was only $750 a month. And so that paid my rent. And I went to a local school and paid for it myself. But I worked four jobs, you know, to support myself. I worked a night audit shift at a hotel. I worked for a pizza place. I disc jockeyed, you know, and did did a club at night. But weddings, you know, like almost every weekend they had weddings on top of it. And then I umpired baseball and officiated soccer, which most people wouldn't understand how much that pays. But, you know, officiating a soccer game, it's an hour and it pays 100 bucks. You know, or at the time, I think it was 70. Now it's probably 100. But I'm just saying, you know, when I could do one game a week and make 500 bucks, you know, for five hours that as a college kid, you know, going back 20 years, it was really good money. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I, I was always somebody who was, I did a Sunday paper route all the way through, like, you know, even, even past high school, you know, I was, I always had a Sunday morning paper route because that was another job that I could fit in that would make me, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, work I used to put in, but it just kind of put me in that entrepreneurial headspace, you know, and uh, started building shortcuts to like, I call life hacking. You know, there's always a different way to get there if you just think out of the box. 
And, uh, and so I did, and so I did that for a while. And then I did insurance door to door and I ended up in a call center. And I, again, entrepreneurism kind of chose me. I was a phone agent, but I was good at, I was really good. And so they were recording my calls and trying to turn it into a script. And so then I just said, well, let me write it. So I wrote it. But then when I wrote it, I took all the punctuation out of it. I used up tones and down tones with little arrows. And next thing you know, I'm a script writer. And then they wanted me to train on my scripts and I'm a trainer. And then other call centers got wind of my skill set. Now I'm a, a, a script writer, a copywriter for scripts, getting thirty dollars to $50,000 for my scripts and phone centers. And at one point I said, I'm just going to open my own call center. I might as well, right? Yeah. And, and so I did. And then we became very good. In three years, we grew by 7,000% year over year and made Inc. 500's fastest growing private companies in America. We were literally number 27 on the entire list, but we were number one in the business products and services category. And uh, that business has been around for 16 years. Over time, I, you know, I never forgot about music, so I retired from my call center to write music, but then I was branding Craig Handley and I, I tried to hire agencies to do it, but it was 20 grand a month, 7,500 to create content, 5,000. So I just built it in Mexico again. And I had three people doing Craig Handley social media, costing me about 3,500 bucks a month instead of 20. And other people started saying, hey, would you do that for me? I'm like, no, it's not a business. They offered me five grand and it was costing me about 3,500. And I'm like, well, all right, I'll try a few. You know. A year and a half later, I got almost 100 clients, 50 <laughs> employees in my marketing company. We've done 40 book launches and done bestsellers with all the books. We've done, you know, and, and on the songwriting front, I do write three new records or three new songs every week. And I've built up a library. Now, it's cost me about a quarter of a million dollars to build up my library. But I, I think I've got now 60 to 100 songs that could be considered radio worthy. And I've played them for, I'm a partner with Charlie Walk and uh, helping him with one of his businesses. And we're building out a, a TV show that kind of combines American Idol and Songland. And I'm the one writing these records for new artists as we attempt to break new artists. And, uh, and so I, I've got records with Ed Sharon, who's looking at a song I wrote and some other, you know, big names in music. I've written for young artists that are on tour trying to break and they're doing really well. One, one young girl's touring with that girl, Lala from Nickelodeon. Every Sunday, they put 3,500 kids and she performs, you know, three of the records she performs, records I wrote for. And so uh, it's been fun, you know, trying to, you know, there's, there's a lot going on as far as navigation goes, but I'm now an entrepreneur, a songwriter. I actually am the chief marketing officer for a company called Hewitt, which is a TV and entertainment company putting out five TV shows with the likes of you know, the, the names that are, that, are, that are starring in these shows are Christopher Walken, you know, Jonathan Sanger owns the company and Mars Callahan is one of the key directors in the whole process. But, you know, it's, it's Christopher Walken and Morgan Freeman and Ellen Pompeo from Grey's Anatomy. And I mean, it's, you know, Robert Ehler from The Sopranos, it's big names. And so I've kind of found myself immersed in music and, and, uh, and acting and all these other areas while I'm building this big marketing company and writing my songs, just kind of doing my own thing. So there is the, how long did that take? Seven minutes. That's like 20 years in seven minutes. <laughs> so. 
First of all, man, nothing makes me happier than you hear someone's dreams come true and, and coming true. You know, uh, it, it really is something to smile at and, and be inspired by just that alone, right? Just hearing the transitions. If anybody yeah. was paying attention, they'd be like, wow. You know, and at the same time, there is a quality that not only am I observing as I'm hearing you tell the story, you know, but also there is a quality that was thematic throughout all of that. And that is something strange because a lot of people who try to be business owners, entrepreneurs, like you said, you were chosen, they can't seem to get over this hump. And we were just having this conversation in another episode of the, the, the left side and the right side of the brain and what it takes to be able to close and be sales and, and like have that comfortability there with your personality. For a creative person, someone who had that goal in mind, and then being falling into a, not falling necessarily, but really being able to stick to your guns and build a business that would give you that. There's a quality to your personality that you somehow were able to unlock. And the reason why I'm asking this for context is that there are a lot of people who it may not be their superpower and they do delegate it. Maybe sometimes they don't delegate the that business aspect of growing and sale, selling with scripts and all those things. Everyone could stand to get better at it, myself included. What do you think it was? Was it your, you were so dedicated to your dream of making music that you were willing to do whatever it took to get there? Or was there something else that you were taking it day by day and you knew that this was going to be important because this is who you are? And that allowed you to do calls and share the story that you just did, which was 20 years and seven minutes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, if you were lying in a hospital bed and you looked up at the EKG, what would you prefer? A flat line or the line that goes like this? Hmm. And somebody told me that story. And what it meant to me was life is meant to be up and down. That's called living. If it's just high, well, that's boring, right? If it's low, you're dead, you know? So, and so the, the line is there for a reason. So you have to be able to embrace the bad with the good, right? Because that's called living, right? It's, it's being able to experience joy in the ups as well as the downs. And if you think about it, in many ways, there isn't much of a difference between trying to save a company and trying to build a company. You're going through the same steps. You're always trying to refine your model to you know, tweak your revenue and make sure you're employing people in the bonus plans. And, the, and if you're going through a turnaround, you're looking at all the same things. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so I think for me, it was a combination of things. Number one, I was bullied as a kid. My dad was a cop and had arrested a lot of these kids' dads. So I was bullied not by one person, but there were like 11 kids waiting to throw me in the snowbank and beat me up. And, you know, and so I remember, you know, walking around through the woods. I think once I almost got kidnapped by some dark van trying to, because I was, I was walking out way out of my way, trying to just avoid all these kids that used to, pick on me. And it, you know, it, it creates a mindset where your brain has only a couple of functions. If you study neuroplasticity, you know, they fear it, they fight it, they want to fuck it. You know, it's those three. And, uh, and so for me, I got in the weight room when I was in high school and I went from 115, you know, to 185, literally between my freshman and sophomore year, you know, I was like, 115 soaking wet. And then all of a sudden I put on 70 pounds, you know, muscle and nobody was, nobody was picking on me anymore. And that was important, but 
I still had this sense of my brain had to be loved, right? So I was a little bit outspoken, probably acted out, trying to get attention. You know, women, when I, I changed schools, girls thought I was handsome. And so that, of course, was dopamine, um, you know, became, I don't know if it was a problem, but I used to love dating lots of women, you know, because I could. And it was one of those things that brought me happiness. But when I started competing in sales events, we had this thing called the Rusty Nail Award. We pounded a rusty nail into a piece of wood. They should have called it the Craig Anley Award. I mean, my ego, I had to win. I had to win so people would love me. And over the years, I've become very self-evident about that, you know, dating women who would, you know, maybe be a little bit toxic or a little bit abusive because that would keep me attracted to them, you know, because I needed to be loved. And so I was very self-aware and I've done a lot of work. But I think over the years, the curve of really needing to be loved and providing success for others made me very successful in execution for others but I was always afraid to charge what I was worth. And so there's a curve through transformation where I became the most valuable $100,000 a year guy at one point, you know, then it was the most valuable 200,000 and 300,000 and finally opening my own business and being worthy of making, you know, a million dollars. And, you know, it was a curve, but it was a curve that I think I needed to, the journey that I had to go on to overcome all the challenges that I had. Does that make sense? So I think it wasn't just the music. I mean, the music was a big part of being loved because I was always good at it. I think my natural gift in being able to write hit songs um, is up there. And I think I'll prove that. I mean, obviously, I don't have anything out there yet that is dominating on the charts, but I, I believe I will soon. And I think I'll be able to prove that I belong in a conversation with some of the uh, the great writers. And we'll see. You know, I mean, I, I do believe that we're you know, when I've had experts listen to my music, they compare it to some of the great writers. And so I really appreciate um, humbly, you know, the, the impression people have of that music. But I think it's just been an interesting journey for me because I had to go through all these things. And, I, you know, it took me yeah, 30 years, you know, to go from being scared all the time and feeling like I had to prove myself to now I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I know what I'm good at and uh take it or leave it and so i and the less i try to prove myself the more money i make and the more relationships i build it's really weird <laughs> you know i wish i'd known what i know today 20 years ago the, the secret in life the matrix is just help others and have enough faith to know uh, you know through social clothes we do free audits and free strategies anybody who wants one go to socialclothes.com and ask for an audit it cost me thirty five hundred dollars to do these audits and these strategies but I was charging 10 grand, you know, to sit down with people and provide this. Now I hand it to people. I feel like it's $20,000 in value. Here you go. And whether they hire me or not, I don't care. I will coach them on how not to hire me. But the reality is, is 50% of the people hire me, but the ones that do treat me as like I'm a secret weapon. And the ones that don't hire me and do it themselves, use my blueprint to succeed. And they actually refer two to three people so it's really weird. The people actually that don't hire me are just as valuable to me as the ones that do. So my lead funnel of giving away this value to people turns into the best thing I could ever do because my average customer pays three to 10000 a month for my social media marketing services. And so the reality is, is if I spend 3500 as a lead gen, I'm almost closing one for one when you count the referrals. 
You know what I mean? So it's, I'm like, but I'm giving away so much value. So it allows me to feel that love that my brain needs. But because I'm now today, I'm self-aware of what my weaknesses are. It doesn't mean I don't always want to help people and do it for free, which my team hates all the time. Like, why are you trying to help them? They're not paying us big. Well, it's a charity. You're like, Craig, but you only have this many, like, I mean, I tried to help so many people that in the month, and we've grown so fast in the month of May, we forgot to send out 14 invoices. (laughs) (laughs) My team's like, you've got us working so hard that we forgot to send out the invoices. I'm like, yeah, but but we got to help these people, you know? Oh. Oh my goodness. So did I answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting qualities to you, man. And, and before I go where I want to keep going, I want to open the floor to Jason, who's, who's, who's I know has been listening. I, I love the dynamic of, you know, when you look at the entrepreneurial journey, right? Because I don't ever really, I don't ever want to get to the destination itself. The journey is the fun part. When you hit the destination, it's no fun anymore. Right. So, but I loved it because it's like, we all have the same story. It's just a different storyline. There's just different things plugged into it different. But when you look at entrepreneurs as a whole or business, whatever you, whatever bucket you want to put yourself in CEO, president, whatever, right. They're all, because uh, we just talked about this on the previous podcast, right? And it's all, you're either one or the other. You're either an employee or you're a, a business person, right? So, and, you know, we go through life and, and we go on this journey and you can see how a lot of people just wouldn't make that journey, right? Because they're in their comfort zone, their comfort, they're going to work, they're getting their paycheck, they're, people get, they're happy with that. And of course, that's okay, because everybody can't be a business owner, obviously, but um, nor could, does everybody have the capacity probably to do it. But I always find it fascinating when I can compare my own story to everybody that comes on this show. It's just written a little bit different. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I just did a transformational program. It was yeah. a ranch in Utah that Tony Shea had invested in with another guy, Shane Scott, and Shane's a VC investor and very successful at what he does. And so, but they don't charge a lot of money to go through it. And it's it's worth it's a three-day thing and it's worth ten thousand dollars. They're charging a thousand dollars to go. So they don't really care as much about the money as they do about helping people. And I love that quality. But I went through this, you know, this transformational program. When you look in everybody else's eyes and you you really start to learn the people that are around you. And what I found over time is we're all the same. You know, we're we're all have fears, we all have desires, we all have, you know, the more you really study and, and start to get to know somebody, we're all the same. We really are. And so I love that about growth is the more that I know, the more I realize. You know, there's a reason that I'm humble. There's a reason that I help people who haven't maybe made it yet. But, you know, those people will probably make it. I believe in those people, you know. And so I don't want to treat anybody differently than I would treat, you know, the president of the United States or, you know, we're all the same. We are. So I love that about humans, you know, that when you really get to know people, we're the same. 
And now the name of your company, Listen Trust, makes a lot more sense to me after having heard you speak and share your story and how the value prop is literally thrown in to the name of the company. And, and knowing what I know about songwriting, coming back to the hook as often as you can, right? Like I, I, I'm starting to see now the how that very persona and, and, and that experience as a musician and you know, keeping to the rhythm, listening to people, allowing the harmony to take place, filling in the beats that are, I, I see how you truly embody that and found a way to tap that into business. And well, the, go ahead. <laughs> you know, songwriting has been interesting because as a copywriter writing phone scripts, there were rules, right? There's a process to everything. So I, as somebody who looks at life like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, I look at or Tom Brady. I want to do my homework before I dive in. So I did a project for Berkeley College of Music where I helped market their hit songs deconstructed class and asked for access to the videos. And I went through and then I then from there I went through all these videos. Then I went through and studied every song of the year from 1960 on. And I wrote down all of the qualities that every single record had and created a blueprint to write hit songs. It's not that hard. It's, there's basically five things that have to be in every single song to write a hit song. Now, yes, melody, lyrics, all those things are important, but the qualities are you've got to have contrast in every four to eight bars, meaning if you're feeling down, you got to get high. Now, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a psychological pull in splitting the brain in two by using what's up is down, what's black is white. What's, and so that's, a, that's a something that has to be in your music because there's only 5% of new records that make it out onto the radio today. It's because there's so much history with music and it's only 5% of new records are going to make it through. So you have to be the best if you're going to bring something through. It's, it's more competitive than the NFL, you know, major league baseball, whatever. And so you've got to have contrast in order to grab the psychological element in the record, emotional visuals. If you don't put enough emotional visuals into a record, people can't see the movie of what your song is trying to say. And so it's never somebody's wearing pants because that's not a strong enough visual. <laughs> They've got to be wearing green corduroys or white painter's pants or neon buttons on a white dress shirt. Or so you've got to put emotional visuals so you can see that song as you listen to the lyrics that are full of contrast. And then the third thing is it's got to be conversational. So many songwriters write to rhyme. And so if you and I had a conversa conversation like this or sitting on your front porch drinking lemonade, if you read the lyrics out to most amateur songwriters, you couldn't read the lyrics. Like it wouldn't be something you would ever say to somebody, but they did it because it rhymed. You know, moon rhymes with spoon. So I, I saw <laughs> a reflection in the spoon by the light of the moon. And it was beautiful in the month of June. Well, the roses were in bloom. You know, and they just think, hey, look what I just wrote. This is amazing. It's an amazing song. I'm like, would you ever sit on the front porch and say, you know, Philip, we were, I met this girl. I was eating my sorbet and I licked a spoon. And when I looked, the moon happened to catch it. And I saw this girl <laughs> in the reflection of the spoon. It was June. <laughs> I don't know if you, the month matters, but I met her in June. And, and damn, I mean, the roses were blooming. It was kind of cool. You'd be like, are you? can I bring you to the hospital? What's, you know, I mean, it's not a conversation. And so as I learned what the hit song rule book was, I've continued to add elements to it. For example, 
you've got to grab attention with a lyric or a beat or a part of the production within eight seconds. Guns N' Roses, you know that song within three seconds. You, most hit songs, you know within three to five seconds. So you have eight seconds to grab attention with the lyric or the production. Uh, you've got to have something in every song that 20,000 people can sing back. So a lot of times I'll write a record, then I'll go back in and I'll add oohs and ahs. Third grade level, whoa, there it is. There, got it. Twenty. Now i got to hit song. Without that, I've got a record, but it probably won't go anywhere. So I started adding elements to it. And I just, I just did what we all do as entrepreneurs is we write a process down and a rule book down. And then I follow the rule book. No big deal. Now you got to have skill on top of it, but you know, it's like copywriting. You can't write a letter if your first line doesn't get into the second. Yeah, man. No, again, stop, this is, right? I love it. I originally had in, in mind, uh, I, I went over and looked at your LinkedIn and it just looked like you've, you've lived your life, you know, and then I hear your story and, and, and how much work you did and how, you know, entrepreneurship chose you and your dream for music. And yet you've also just lived. Like, it seems like you've made a lot of time to actually experience life. And right now. Yeah. I make, I make a list. I, I redo my list every year and uh, I want to dive with great white sharks. Let's go to Africa off the coast of Seal Island. I want a snowmobile on a live volcano. Let's go to Iceland and do that. You know, I want to dive in the Sulphur Ravine, which is one of the top 10 dive sites in the world. And I've got all 10 of them, of course, but I want to knock off all 10 of these. And one of them was the Sulphur Ravine in Iceland. And, you know, I wanted to climb the glaciers. I wanted to jump out of an airplane. So I did that. I jumped out of an airplane from 32,000 feet. I was the 85th civilian in the world to jump from that high. It's called a halo dive. And you got to have balls of steel to do it. You know? <laughs> but you, when, you, when you get out to the plane, you look out to the plane and you open the door and you're hanging in the doorway, but you see the curvature of the earth. You're up so high. <laughs> and you've got, you've got oxygen because you can't breathe that high, obviously. And it's so cold, but you don't feel it because your adrenaline's just coursing. And as you jump out of the plane, you are Superman, at least for five minutes, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's about a seven-minute free fall after you pull. It's another three or four minutes down. But, but you know, but you're, you know, and the oxygen just goes right through you while you're dropping. You know, you don't need to breathe because it's just flowing right through your body. It's so many amazing experiences. I've done a lot of things. The Baja 500. I've been to Africa, you know, a few times to see the animals. And I've been to the, the World Cup semifinals and finals for, for soccer and yeah, you know, I, I've, I've tried to make sure everything, there's a lot that we should do on this planet, you know, and there's so much to love and enjoy. And so I got to plug the joy in, man. You know, I got to plug the, if there's an adventure, I usually don't hesitate to say, yeah, let's do it. And I, I, I was, funny story, I was on Mosquito Island with Richard Branson and all these people were cliff jumping and I was scared. I went to the edge and I couldn't jump, but I regretted that so much that it became a powerful lesson. And from that day forward, I went first and I put myself in some awkward spots. I, I did a cliff jump off Costa Rica and I missed the rocks by, you know, mere inches because I needed to be first and I didn't know which way the path was. So I was kind of figuring out in the air, you know, I'm like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go first. Life is for living. And I think that everybody should, everybody should say, I, I F the F bomb there, but everybody say screw it once in a while, you know, just go for it. 
<laughs> no, man. Uh, and and I, I want to let Jason Curry that because I see he's, I see he's got a lot of things. I just want to, the reason why I'm asking that is because I've seen that you lived. And I think that there is a quality that combines what had happened with how you were chosen by entrepreneurship when you had this other dream in mind and you kept developing, you know, and you fell into copywriting and, and the call center and this and that. And the same thing goes with when you made your list of what you want to do. There's almost like this dedication, this commitment uh, this humble commitment, or, or, or like you said earlier, maybe not so humble in the beginning, but there's this commitment to making sure what you set out to do was going to be done. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that you that stands out to you about why you're able to do that? You know, I think that there's an energy in the world, and I think that it takes time to learn how to ride the energy, like surf it, go in the flow. Some people might call it flow. There's certainly an energy, and I, it's weird. I wrote down, I wanted to meet all the living Beatles. What are the chances that's going to happen, right? I'm a guy from Maine. But yet, I did a project for the David Lynch Foundation that, unbeknownst to me, raised about $100 million. Oops. I had, I had no idea until David introduced me to Ringo as one of the top supporters of the David Lynch Foundation at Ringo's birthday party, where I met Joe Walsh and Steve Lukifer. And I mean, just these amazing, the guy from Toto and Ben Folds and just all these amazing Jim Carrey I sat next to in the front row. I sang with a little help from my friends with Ringo. You know, I mean, and I'm, uh, David introduced me. I'm like, I did what? What did I do? You know, I had no idea. But then I went to Paul McCartney's Music Cares event. Not only did I meet Paul, I met George Harrison's wife at Ringo's birthday party. I met Paul McCartney at his event while I was talking to Richard Branson. And then I met Yoko Ono, who was sitting next to Richard and his wife, Joan. And I met Paul's son, Chris. And I'm like, you know, you put this stuff out to the universe and you don't expect it to happen. But the universe is maybe there's aliens. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't happen unless I write it down. Like I wrote a record called What If God Is Death? And I don't just mean God. I mean, whatever the energy is, I think you have to put forth the effort to show the universe what you want, whether you write it down or go after these things. But I do believe there is some sort of energy that helps drive it. So you know, for me, I think it's that energy of learning that you should go where you fear the most because we are all the same, right? So, and, and 95% of this planet is full of fear. People are afraid to, if I want to talk to Elon Musk, I'll go on LinkedIn and send him a damn message. I'm not afraid of Elon Musk. I don't give a shit. If I want to meet Richard Branson, well, this is how I met Richard. I saw what his security was wearing. I went to the big install store and bought the same outfit. And I pretended like I was security and walked backstage and handed him my business card with $25 wrapped, $20 wrapped around it. And I said, this is the first 20 we're going to make together. And he, all right, brilliant. He put it in his pocket, gave me his email address. I ended up on Necker two years later. And I told him about that event. He goes, oh, I remember. I said, I was surprised you took my 20. He goes, first lesson for you on Necker Island. He goes, let me tell you your first lesson. You don't get to be a billionaire unless you take people's money. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a riot. I was like, that's so funny. He goes, you could have handed me 20, 20,000, 200,000, 2 million. He goes, it was going in my pocket. He goes, that's why I'm a billionaire. I'm like, okay, okay. good enough. <laughs> Man, so, yeah, Jason, yeah, I, come on. <laughs> come on in, Jason. <laughs> uh, there, there's so many, like, there's so many pathways this conversation could go down, right? But, but, I kind of want to go back to, you know, the bucket list type of thing, right? And because if you look traditionally, what, what are we taught? We're taught 
you know, we grow up, go to school, go to college, get a job, work to work until you die. And maybe you'll give your kids some of the money. Right. So that's pretty freaking depressing. right? <laughs> Actually, when you think about it, it's really depressing. Why not? Why not focus on, you know, doing what you want to do in the benefit and service to others that then supplies the dream that you want to get to, right? Because I do believe in dreams. Dreams are real. You know, we should all, if we could all just get back to like being a kid, right? Go back in that mindset of being a kid. Because like I look at my kids are young, uh, three and, and, and six, and they just don't give a shit. There's just like, there's just, just this like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm going to go ahead and fall off this cliff right now, but it's okay. Yeah, if you want to experience right? joy, go watch kids play baseball or t-ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I have a friend of mine who was describing his son playing t-ball. He goes, it's kind of fun to watch. He goes, first of all, he hit the ball. And then he's like, oh my God, I hit it. Look, but he's not running to first yet. He's like, hey, everybody, look, I, I hit the ball, right? And then he runs and then, you know, and then he doesn't stop running. He goes past first and the second. In the third, like, and then they tag him out halfway between second and third. <laughs> and, and the kid will just say, oh, okay, well, I'm out. And they'll just turn around and they'll start playing defense. He doesn't care that he's on the other team. He's like, I'm going to hang out with these guys now. And these kids <laughs> that are playing these games, they don't know. All they know is joy. You yeah. know, and I, I want to be that person who remembers all of my life, what that joy feels like. I want to live in that joy no matter what I'm doing. You know, and for me... It's helping others. Marketing is a strength of mine. I love being creative, you know, so I love writing music. And, uh, and so I just, you know, I love doing the things that I do and, and try to take time out to experience joy through all of it. I can be anywhere when I work. So. Yeah, man. This is just a, a classic example of why having a show like this is so important. One that allows for this free flow of conversation with the intent to leave behind stuff. And I usually ask like, oh, what would you say to to the younger version of yourself, for example, just before you got into the call center, uh, when you were trying to figure out what to do, what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah, it's, it's you know, my favorite advice to give to young people. When I was younger, a lot of people didn't believe in me, right? But I chose early on in life to believe in everybody. I made that decision because if you're with the right people, you know, if you're with 10 people, you don't know which one of those people is going to be the millionaire in your group. But there's a good chance if there's people that have dreams and are trying to build big businesses that one of those people will maybe make it. And so I believed in people early on. 20 years ago, I was building my Rolodex. I was networking and I was trying to support others and believe in their dreams, even if I thought it was stupid. You know, because nobody believed in me. And as a result, I think in my cell phone today, I've got six to 800 millionaires, you know, at least 20 or so billionaires. But guess who they were when I met them? Nobody. They were, they were nobodies, you know, but they had a dream. And so I chose and I tell my kid, you know, my, my, kid, my kid's like one of them is 23 or 24. I'm like, if you want to play video games, then play video games. But just do it with a passion that people can see your passion and then build a network around it. And 
you know, play games with other people and build that network of influencers. Because guess what? You know, if you know these people when they're nobodies, they're going to trust you when there's somebody and they're going to bring you along for the ride. You know, because there's so many people that don't want to latch onto their coattails after they're somebody. You don't have an opportunity anymore to make those relationships work when they're already a big deal. Not often. You know, you can still sometimes do that, but you've really got to show some sincere authenticity to create in-depth relationships. And so I love working with young songwriters and young artists and young musicians. And I don't know which ones are going to make it, but I want to believe in all of them as if they will. And guess what? The next Ariana Grande is already a friend. I already have her cell phone number, you know, and I'm in this business for the long haul. So I know it only takes three to five years to start to really know a circle. So if you're young, I'm older, you know, I don't have the same opportunities a 20 year old has, but think about it. If you've got 30 years to create relationships and create circles, start now and and believe in everybody. And then by the time you're 50, you're going to have a network of six to 800 billionaires and, you know, and another 20 billionaires in your cell phone that you can call because they're your friends. They trust you because you believed in them when they were absolutely nothing. You're one of the few people that actually gave them time when they were just dreaming. And so for a young person, that's my advice is don't be a dick and believe in everybody around you and try to support them. You know, you're nobody with your, I remember my hundred first year, I made a hundred thousand dollars. I bought a $3,000 pair of shoes. I bought an expensive belt and I bought the $6,000 oyster perpetual Rolex. And I, I needed an NDA to have a conversation. I was just such a jerk. You know, because I thought I was finally somebody, but you're not, you're nobody and you'll never be anybody. Your whole life should be, how do you develop a journey to become nobody? That's pretty oh. deep. Man. Oh, no, I don't know. That's the name <laughs> of the episode, man. That is. Woo. Craig, you're on fire, man. Yeah. That's a hit my single goal. right That's there. That's my goal <laughs> in life, my man, is to be, is to, is to just grow up and be nobody, you know, and to help I- others. <laughs> I need I need to I need to turn it on Spotify Spotify one day and just hear journey to no one. You know, like I, I need to hear you just your record out there because that that I just is... I just actually wrote a record like that, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. It's called Let Me Unravel You. It's called Unravel hey. You. And so the concept though is, you know, it's we don't know what we don't know, and the only way out is through. And yeah. so it is basically about the journey to nobody. So it's kind of, but it's written in the form of a song. So yeah, no, just, got done, uh, just, just actually got a copy of it last night. So. Man, I, I really dig talking to you, man. And I, and I want to be respectful of everyone's time here. So uh, we're going to roll into the big finale. If no one has any objections here. Roll it. Roll it. Whatever you want, wherever you want to go. I'm, I'm game. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to experience the journey together. Yeah, man. So here it is. If you could have invited anybody, your pick of the litter, I'm talking any time or place in the world, dead or alive, to have sat here and listened to the journey and the insights and just overall the the, the unraveling, as you say, that has taken place in this conversation, who would you choose and why? You know, I, I there's a lot of people that have definitely been of great benefit to me in my life that have been angels along the way. but. I think my aunt, my aunt Pam, you know, might be the most significant person in my life. She was somebody who was in an abusive relationship with an alcoholic and 
got out of it, you know, and was brave enough to, to leave that relationship. She didn't have anything. She was getting state substance, you know, every month, getting help from the state, but she did work at a, a senior center, you know, helping people there. And, but she was always the most happiest, positive person that I've ever known or met. You know, she was always, always just with a big smile, big grin, always whistling, always looking for the, you know, the silver and the gray clouds. I don't think, you know, I ever saw her unhappy and I'm sure it was there, but I don't think I ever saw it. You know, every time I, uh, you know, she passed away from it, they attempted a seven way heart bypass, you know, which I think she was by 52 or something around there, but obviously it didn't go so well, but, um, but I've written songs, you know, about losing my relationship with her and, and her passing away. And, uh, and she was such a big influence as far as being able to see the light through the darkness, you know? So it'd be my aunt. You know, I think that there's a lot of people, you know, you don't want to leave anybody out, but I think if you only had a choice between one, you know, um, it would have to be her. I mean, just goes to show, man, the, the one thing I've learned about you is that you're not worried about yourself. You, you're, you're here to wonder how others are doing and how you can be of service. And it really comes through, man, even with just the way you make your decisions on who to choose for the grand finale or just throughout the whole journey, this focus of like, really pay attention to who's around you and, and put yourself around good people and, and believe in them. And just, it seems like, oh, if someone told you that in passing, you'd be like, yeah, sure. But no, really look at the way that's been able to unfold things. Like I'm fortunate to be able to do this show because I had a similar conversation with Jason. He's like, look, man, I really believe in you. I was like, really? It's like, yeah, man. And and I was working somewhere else that we, oh, entrepreneur or whatever, but no, it, it really goes to show you what's possible when people believe in you. And I love that message. I really do. So those are my closing thoughts on it. I'm so grateful yeah. that we had this conversation. Yeah, I had, a, I had another friend of mine pass away recently and I turned it into a record called One More Angel. You know, and the idea is that, you know, they say that memories fade with time, but the reality is if you believe in energy and you believe in the universe, you know, and have faith in the world, then somebody passing away isn't necessarily somebody going away. It just means you got one more angel in your corner to support you on your own journey. And life is pretty short. It's like, you know, we're all like grains of sand on the beach. The wind blows and that's the life, man. It's over, you know? So uh, we got to do what we can to enjoy every minute of it, you know? Uh, and I, I, I still have my moments where I'm not all the way there, but it's practice. You know, you got to practice being happy. Give yourself permission to be happy. It's okay. So... <laughs> Jason, closing thoughts. <laughs> it's a great way to end it. Give yourself permission to be happy. You know, I, I would just say, gosh, thanks for being here. You know, we we have small amount of time every week, 168 hours, whatever it is every week. And you took the time to be here and spend some of it with us. And that means something, right? So that means something. And, you know, I hope people really caught all the underlying things in this conversation, because there was a lot of them. There was a lot of things in this conversation to be grabbed and latched onto and implemented into your own life, because th these are the conversations that nobody's having. 
and we're lucky to be having them. Um, and, and we're lucky to be spending time with people like you that have had such a great journey and have done so many things in your life and been exposed to so many things in your life. And you're able to share that. And that's truly very special. And uh, thank you for letting us be a part of that journey with you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always, I always think of a hundred other things I'd love to share, you know, but I know we only have a lot of time, you know, I, I, just to help people, you know, I just think yeah. of things. So anyway. No, man, you're, you're awesome. And, and, and thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and if anybody ever, look, I'm, I'm very humble. I, I don't think of myself as a big old diva. So if anybody wants to reach out, I'm Craig Handley on Instagram. I'm Craig Handley on Facebook. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not like I'm hiding out and I do, I do respond. I mean, if somebody connected on LinkedIn or, you know, connected on Instagram, I'm, I do have a team, but for the most part, I, you know, I, I'm the one who's actively responding if someone asks me for help. And I've gotten on phone calls with random strangers, you know, every week. I don't mind. I don't care, you know, because again, I think we're all the same. So, man, just, just awesome. Thank you, Craig. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, good. I, I hope everybody got some value out of it. Cheers, <laughs> my friend. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it, and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.